0: Despite some clear advantages, nuclear energy suffers from a public image problem. In this episode, we speak to Valérie Faudon, head of the French Nuclear Society and board member at Orano, the French nuclear company. Valérie is also a lecturer at Sciences Po and a holder of four master's degrees from Stanford, Sciences Po, École Polytechnique and École Nationale de Pont et Chaussée we discussed the role of nuclear energy in achieving the 1.5 or 2 degrees temperature targets in the IPCC report and the trade-offs to using nuclear energy compared with other energies. Most of the discussion though is centered on the public image of nuclear energy and how this image is evolving. We also discuss how to make the economics of nuclear energy work, something which is particularly relevant in the UK due to the expensive Hinkley Point C plant and which is relevant in the United States because of the competition from the low natural gas price. This is the Sciences Po Energy Podcast. Welcome to the Sciences Po Energy Podcast. Well, thank
1: you? you very much for inviting me. I'm very honored. It's very
0: much my pleasure. I want to start just by asking who you are and what you do.
1: So my name is uh, Valérie Faudon. So I teach here at Sciences Po in the PSEA, the Paris School of uh, International Affairs. In the Master of International Energy, I teach part of a nuclear fundamentals class. And uh, in my other life, I'm the Executive Director for the French Nuclear Society, which is an association which gathers uh, nuclear scientists and nuclear engineers in the French industry and French research centers. And also I'm the Vice President for the European Nuclear Society, which gathers all nuclear societies in Europe.
0: Okay, fantastic. And how exactly did you get into nuclear energy?
1: So I was working in a telecom industry and then I started to be really interested in uh, the climate matters. I thought it was very important. And then I got this offer in 2009 to work for Areva, yes. uh, which was a big, uh, a giant oh. company <laughs> in oh. nuclear in France. And um, I took it uh, first because nuclear is low carbon. It's a low-carbon solution. I guess we'll talk about it a bit later. It's an important thing. And also because it's a a really uh, big industry in France. So I thought it was important for me to uh, work in an industry that creates employment here.
0: So since this is your field of expertise, my idea for this episode was to talk mainly about public opinion and economics regarding nuclear. But first of all, I wanted to present a little bit of background and to start to talk about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and a report that they released last year which essentially stated that through our carbon dioxide emissions humanity has already warmed the planet by one degree and that there are some major societal changes that are needed in order to prevent this warming going above two degrees or indeed above one and a half degrees, which is the ideal scenario. So the most relevant response to this conclusion is What is the best strategy in order to do this? And do you think that this can be done without nuclear?
1: No, I can't, actually. All international organizations say that to reach our climate goals, we need some nuclear in the electricity mix. Um, Why? I mean, because uh, when you look at um, the uh, sources of low carbon energies as listed by the climate experts, like IPCC, um, they list um, renewables, wind, solar, hydro, nuclear, and also some fossil fuels, but equipped with carbon capture and storage, which is uh, still not really available at the industrial level. So when you look at the sources of low carbon energy that are available today uh, to be deployed at the industrial level, there are very, very few, honestly. <laughs> there is a hydro, nuclear, wind, and solar um so considering that today we still have 70 percent of electricity produced with coal and gas with uh, fossil fuels um uh, we need all the sources of low carbon energy to be able to get rid of fossil fuels so we need renewables and nuclear
0: so in the world of energy something that we like to do a lot is to make scenarios and the scenario is a it's not quite a projection but it is a projection into the future, making certain assumptions in order to show what energy consumption and production will look like. And there have been a number of scenarios released which show how we could transfer to 100% renewables in the not too distant future. Uh, Could you tell us about these scenarios and whether or not you think they are realistic?
1: Yeah, so I have first to say that all the you know int- institutional scenarios put some nuclear. We talk about IPCCs in the pathways in the fourth pathways that were published in the October report. Nuclear goes from doubling into you know 500 percent increase. It's the same for OECD scenarios, same for uh, European Union scenarios. So there has been a certain number of 100 percent renewable scenarios that have been published. Um, most of them have been debunked. Um, I'm thinking specifically about the Stanford one, Mark Jacobs at for 100% renewable in the U.S.
0: Sure. W- when and was this published?
1: I think it was published about two years ago in a major academic journal in the U.S., and one year later, you know, an article um, was published against it in the same journal, which is exceptional. Um, so usually all these 100% uh, renewable scenarios they usually have two flows, um, first, um, they have um, issues in predicting um, consumer behavior. They're usually very strong on you know um, reduction of consumption and uh, they use trends that don't seem sensible considering the actual trends we see. Um, um, uh, for instance, in France, there is the 100% uh, renewable scenario, which says that uh, people should um, live more together, and it's exactly the opposite: is that people get live sure. more alone. Sure, right? people okay. don't like each other, <laughs> exactly. <Ultimately. laughs> exactly because you have a rate of divorce increases sure. and so yeah. forth, right? And the second thing that usually doesn't work is uh, the um, equilibrium of the electricity system is that you need to have enough dispatchable sources. Dispatchable means that enough sources that work uh, 24-7. So in the U.S. case, they had put too much hydro. You know, they have increased hydro uh, so much. It didn't make sense because you didn't have any more rivers, you know, enough rivers to produce all this hydro. Or it could be because of biomass. But in that case, it's like you use too much biomass considering uh, the resources you have in a given country, or you can't do anything else. I mean, you you can't grow cr- any more crops because you use everything uh, for biomass.
0: Okay, fair enough. So I, I would say that the main challenge, nuclear at the moment is not technical or not even economic but it's related to public opinion and since this is one of the most important areas of your expertise I would like to spend a bit of time exploring why nuclear has a bad image or maybe you disagree, maybe, it don't, maybe you don't think it has a a bad image but uh, anyway we'll discuss this. So my first hypothesis is that nuclear has a bad image because it is associated with nuclear weapons. And I know, of course, that nuclear weapons generally become, uh, if, if a country has nuclear weapons, it tends to get nuclear weapons before civil nuclear power. So my question, therefore, is it, is it reasonable to be concerned that there is a link between civil nuclear power and obtaining nuclear weapons?
1: No, I don't think it is, because as you mentioned, I mean, all major countries, they got the weapons before they got you know, uh, civil use of nuclear energy. Um, So it's very true that um, when you ask people why they don't like nuclear, they usually say they're afraid of a nuclear accident or um, they don't like nuclear waste. So that's usually the first two topics uh, that come to mind. And uh, one thing which is also very important is that uh, so usually people know about these two things. They usually don't know much about nuclear accidents. For instance, if you ca- take the case of Fukushima, they usually think there were many people who died in Fukushima because they mix up the number of people who died from the tsunami with sure. the people who died from the accident. People don't know very much. they will talk about Three Mile Island um, without knowing that in Three Mile Island you had no. Release outside, you know, the facility. Nobody died, right? So, so they usually people don't know because it was a big media story. So they remember it was a big media story, and they thought it was scary. Yeah, I mean, sure, yeah. it is scary. Yeah, exactly. And they will talk about nuclear waste. For usually, they have never seen any nuclear waste, and uh, on on the other hand, they will not talk about the fact that they will go out in the street and they would brief, you know, small particles from the fossil industry. So they, sure. they don't treat all waste as equal. <laughs> no, I,
0: I'm concerned about that living in, in Paris, actually. But. <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, on the other hand, I think there are also some um, historical, um, um, you know, movements that were anti-nuclear, uh, also for other reasons. And you mentioned, you know, people who were anti-weapons that associated, you know, nuclear weapons with, you know, um, nuclear plants. But you also had the anarchist movements yes. um, because they associated nuclear with um, with authority, sure. with military. Okay. Um, you had the anti-science movement because they associate nuclear with science, which is very true. And more recently, you have the anti-growth Uh, you know, uh, movements, Um, because they believe that, for instance, climate change should be dealt with a change in the way people live, Uh, their habits, reducing consumption, live in a different manner. And uh, so these movements are not really interested in a solution, because what nuclear can bring is that it can bring uh, uh, a lot of clean electricity. So it can allow, actually, to continue to grow without uh, restricting you know, consumption, typically. So it offers a different path, which is more a technology-oriented path. And many of these movements, what they really want a change in the way we live.
0: Since we are in France, and public opinion here is roughly split about nuclear, in fact, I think it's about 50% in favor and 50% against, uh, who are the main constituencies against nuclear power? And who are the main constituencies in favor? And what particularly are they concerned about?
1: When you look at the polls in France, the thing that comes up most is that people love renewables. Sure. So it's not that they don't like nuclear, actually, it's only a, a small portion of people who really don't want nuclear. <laughs> because most people, what's happening is more that they prefer renewables. Okay. Uh, um, so they think it's nice, they think it's clean, it's the future, it's sexy. Um, And so what they usually want is a more balanced mix between renewable and nuclear. uh, Most people, the vast majority, they think we cannot really get out of nuclear. Um, So it's more a balanced mix that they want. They are usually aware, I'm talking about France, and because it's different for other countries, they're usually aware that nuclear is a big industry in France that provides employment. They actually believe nuclear is high-tech. Sure. which is kind of fun because the entire nuclear movement say that nuclear is not high-tech anymore. It's all technology, but actually people know it's high-tech, that it's something which is very difficult to do. Many countries can't do it. Sure. Um, and, uh, and they know that it's, uh, um, uh, um, that they're present in the regions, that it exports also a lot of uh, goods and services. So it's a more balanced feeling,
0: We won't be able to talk about every single country in the world. However, there's one country I would like to talk about, which is Germany. Mm -hmm. And Germany has historically a little bit more anti-nuclear than than France would be. In fact, much more, I would say. And indeed, so much so that they are in the process of phasing out their nuclear power. The short-term effect of this, though, is that they are now much more carbon-intensive because they have had to open up coal plants. So do you think that this argument has resonated with the German public and has public opinion therefore shifted back in favour of nuclear?
1: I don't think so. We have no evidence uh, of about that for um, for uh, uh, public opinion in Germany. Um, I think you know most. I think I've I've read an article saying that actually most German people think that the nuclear plants in Germany are already closed. You know. Though, you know, we still have about 10%, I think, or 10-15% of uh, electricity produced coming from uh, nuclear plants. Um, What's really a a pity is that uh, you have an example of a country that has put a lot of money, because it's uh, 25 billion euros per year. So it's a total of 500 billion total in the energy vendor. So they put a lot of money, which also has meant a lot of an increase in the electricity prices for households. Um, and they had access to the best technology and somehow they failed because of course we succeeded in getting out of nuclear, but they failed in achieving climate goals and reducing emissions. So it's a bit a pity. Um, what is also a pain it's not only a pain for germany it's a pain for every one of us because we still have a lot of coal in europe german coal we have a lot of air pollution every country for german coal, but also the germans are very influential and they have sold their model to many other countries uh to the european commission sure. and it's a pity because this model is proven unsuccessful now well
0: it's certainly it's not successful if you're objective is to reduce carbon emissions do you have any hypotheses about why germany has such a negative view of nuclear
1: so uh, i've read lots of studies uh, so um, there are studies that say it came from um, you know the time where um, the americans had nuclear weapons you know based in germany mm-hmm. or they had plans to get nuclear okay. weapons based in germany uh, there are people who say that it's um, something that comes, uh, you know, against the generation that were responsible for World War II. Uh Other people say that it comes from the fact that the Germans are more romantic over like purity. And uh, there's also a fourth hypothesis saying that, you know, when Chernobyl happened, it was also a trauma for people. So I've read lots of articles. I don't know if there's one serious study that really can make an analysis, but for sure, when you look at in the polls, the Germans are very anti-nuclear. Sure.
0: Um, There's one country in the world, which is the United States, that has an interesting phenomena in as much as there are environmentalist groups who are Mm pro-nuclear. Can you tell us a bit more about how these groups came into existence and what they're doing?
1: Yeah, so... um, um, it all started with a very interesting movie that you can find on YouTube, which is called Pandora's Promise. And in, the, in this movie, um, it's actually a um, U.S.-based uh, uh, British director <laughs> named Robert Stone, who documented the stories of four uh, former anti-nuclear activists that changed their mind about nuclear. And it's very interesting. And uh, among them, um, you have uh, people that are called the eco-modernists. And in general, this is um, these are several think tanks and environmental groups that believe that you can actually solve some of the Earth problems through technology. So um, okay. it's a very uh, positive view. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so um, you had uh, several groups uh, in the U.S. like that. You have the Breakthrough Institute in California. Now you have Environmental Progress. You also have think tanks such as Third Way Energy in Washington. Uh, that um, believe that. And now you have a few uh, eco-modernist societies in Europe as well. Not really in France, but you have uh, some in Germany, uh, um, in Holland, uh, in uh, Sweden.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question was whether or not this argument that nuclear can be something which is positive in the environment is being exported to Europe and whether or not it's going to be a successful um, arguments it's yeah.
1: uh, just starting to be so um, uh, because it's good for the environment but on several dimensions when you look at all the most important dimensions for environment today on climate it's really excellent uh, it's got very low emissions here in france emissions are five grams per kilowatt hour so as compared with 500 for gas or 1000 for, for coal so you have a climate thing yeah. you have also the air pollution mm-hmm. because it's no small particles no sox no yeah. co very good for for it. there's a study from uh nasa from the goddard yes. institute that it actually prevented deaths because yes, of had millions of deaths it's very good for biodiversity because it's got very small footprint so you don't need a lot of you know you don't need to diminish, uh, you know, the um, space dedicated to environment, forest, and animals.
0: Yes. Uh, what y- and so, yeah. c- compared, for example, to what?
1: Uh, compared, um, uh, <laughs> compared with other technologies, typically, okay, sure. uh, you know, um, uh, the footprint needed, for instance, for solar or, yeah, yeah. or wind. If,
0: if we could make an example with uh, with coal, how much area do you need to generate? Um, and so, so you know per watt for example
1: so typically for coal, uh, the installation itself the plant itself it's yeah. not very different yes. but you, so have, you have to good. take into account the coal mines yes. that are huge right yeah. compared with uranium mines that are kind of small because uranium is very dense sure. um, so you have to take into account everything and then the fourth dimension which is uh, extremely important is the use of resources Mm -hmm. Uh, because when you look at um, energy you don't only look at uranium of course but you look at steel you look at concrete um, uh, and there's a very interesting report from uh, the world bank in Mm -hmm. 2017 and it's good to look at because the world bank is not a pro-nuclear organization as you probably know (laughs) and uh, they have compared the different levels of energies and the track record for nuclear is extremely good because for instance in terms of steel it's very small you have some steel in the in the building but then uh, you will use the building for 40 years 60 yeah. years you know beyond 60 years so the ratio of the use of steel versus per kilowatt hour is ex- really excellent so it's a very good um, it's got a very good track record on the use of resources so if you take a four dimension climate air pollution biodiversity and the use of resources it's pretty good it's very so. good
0: all right I, i'm from the uk and One of the main arguments against nuclear in the UK is that it's expensive. In fact, we are currently building a nuclear power plant which is famously expensive, called Hinkley Point C. And there's been a lot of negative opinion generated about the economics of nuclear, and not so much for the environment. However, the cost of nuclear power varies a lot, and is very cheap, for example, in Korea. So, I would like to ask you, why is it so expensive in the UK and not elsewhere?
1: Uh, so um, in the case of the UK, uh, the number that uh, was given for the strike price, the guarantee price, um, is based on um, a first-of-a-kind. So it's the first uh, EPR that is being built I- in the UK. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like for every industry, uh, the first unit is more expensive, and the more you build, the cheaper it is. In the case of the study we've looked at for the, the way the French fleet was built, you could see that after uh, six units, you could go down 30% in the construction cost. So it's, um, it's, it's very important to be able to build in series. Um, and the second thing, which is very important in the UK, is the cost of financing that was extremely high yes. in the case of the uh, UK. And the, the final price is extremely sensitive to yes. the cost of financing it's uh, amazingly uh, sure. sensitive
0: well let's talk a little bit more about that cost of financing in the case of the UK of course the, the majority in fact I think the entirety of the capital for the Hinkley Point project was private private and of course private capital tends to cost more than public capital how much cheaper would the project have been if it was financed with uh, public capital
1: So usually, people say um, 1% in the cost of capital is equal to 1 billion in the cost of a project. uh, but for sure, uh, if you look at um, uh, the case for um, the proposal that was made by the UK government to uh, Itachi to invest in, in yes. the UK, they changed completely the process. Is that they um, decided to offer direct investment into the project um, to, uh, you know, to be able to reduce the risk associated with the project and the cost of capital. In the end, I think they arrived at the strike price, which was already down to seventy-five. Uh, euros or 75 pounds something like that so quite dramatic um, I think one thing which is very important is that we, we talk the cost of nuclear um, we have a question is it competitive uh, versus other f- sources but, uh, but then we have to think about okay but what do we compare nuclear to uh, because sure. nuclear is exceptional because it's both low carbon and dispatchable it means okay. it's available 100% yes. of the time so, um, if you take uh okay, let's compare it with gas or coal, yes. okay, they are available all the time um but you know you need to add the fact that they are not low carbon, you know they're high carbon, so you need to either include you know the cost of c c s which okay. we don't know, or say that they you need you know i he- i i read a lot about biogas, but how much is it you know? The cost of a gas plant with biogas nobody knows so you can't really compare it with fossil fuels today from the research we have we see that nuclear is very competitive with fossil fuels or you need to compare it with renewables but besides hydro the other ones are not dispatchable that means you need to add something that is called the system's costs which is the cost of uh, the backup, or, you know, the c- additional costs associated with distribution, uh, need cost you need to have to the system. And we're just starting to have studies about what is the system cost. The thing we know is that the higher percentage of uh, uh, renewable penetration you have on the system, you know, the higher the system cost is, which is natural, yeah. you know, yeah. if you have... a uh, a low rate of uh, intermittent renewables on the network, of course, you know, it's easy to balance the system. But then you started being like 75% and it becomes extremely high, sure. right? So um, uh, for most of that we know, and I think there's a very interesting uh, study from MIT uh, on that topic, um, we know that we need a balanced mix, that in the mix of the future, yeah. we'll need to have a good mix of dispatchable and not dispatchable low carbon energy. So that means a good mix of renewable and nuclear. The thing which is interesting is that, uh, and it's already the case in France, in France, um, uh, nuclear can do load follow. That means nu- the, the days where there is a lot of wind or a lot of sun, nuclear can go down and uh, adapt you know to the production of renewable it's not the case in every country but all the new reactors i'm thinking about the epr or i'm thinking about the new scale you know yes. smrs yes. Um, in, in north america uh, they all have strong um, ability to do load follow.
0: just to yeah. clarify the new scale SMRs, the small scale reactors which are a new design which is hopefully much cheaper than and more um Producible on an industrial scale than the current reactants we have today. This kind of brings me quite well into the part of the discussion where I wanted to talk about how nuclear can adapt in a world in which we have a lot of renewables on the grid and therefore quite a volatile electricity price. So there are two problems with this, one of which is that financing the projects is more difficult because there is uncertainty. And then the second one is that there is... Uh, an engineering uncertainty to it because you have to be able to scale up and scale down power generation if there is um, a huge variation in the amounts of renewables on a grid at any given moment in time. So do you think that nuclear can rise to the challenge?
1: Uh, So there are two different subjects. There's a subject for the existing fleet and a subject for new nuclear. If you look at the existing fleet uh, in Europe, if you take the French nuclear fleet, uh, extremely competitive uh, it's at 33 euros per kilowatt hour so um, on the uh, merit order it's just behind uh, renewables so um, it basically uh, is in front of gas and uh, coal uh, sure. nearly every time so um, so it's very competitive and uh, you know uh, I- 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 it works pretty well. In the U.S., it's more complicated on the regulated market because you have a stronger competition uh, from Shell Gas. So, what uh, the industry has asked to be able to continue to operate the plants profitably is to be rewarded on the market for the services they offer. Because for years they were offering these services, they would not get rewarded for that. Okay. So, it uh, you know among these services you have low carbon, mm-hmm. and of course you also have uh, availability on the grid. 24/7 um, availability. so um, you can see and I think it's just happened last week in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. that uh, that the uh, state has offered some uh, a new financing scheme for nuclear plants so the for them to be able to remain profitable and to be able to, to remain in operation. So that's really for the uh, existing thing for the n- new investment. Uh, honestly, considering the cost of investment in a nuclear plant because it's a big amount of money, um, you have uh, uh, many years of negative cash flow. You know, from five yeah. to ten years of negative cash flow, plus you know it's long-term investment because this plant, an EPR, it's built for sixty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say you have ten years of construction plus sixty years. You know, uh, uh, potentially six eighty years. So that means that. It's very complicated for private investors to go into these markets, yeah. and um, our recommendation, at least for the French fleet, is to have really uh, a, a new model between uh, the state and um, and the operator uh, to be able to offer some um, financing schemes that sure. you know um, enable private investment and at the same time decrease the cost of financing for yeah. you know for for in the end to have cheap electricity sure
0: i mean i think uh, my opinion in the case of the uk is that i would have preferred a state subsidy in financing because at the end of the day there is a state subsidy in the strike price because yeah
1: and it's not efficient. exactly yeah so that's what the uh, counting office said sure. so i think that's why now they want to move to a different model yeah.
0: today yeah. i checked the price of carbon in europe on the ETS, and it's extremely high and higher than it's almost ever been. It's around 27 euros, and indeed the carbon in Europe has been one of the best performing commodities over the past year and a half. So uh, are there any studies that you're aware of that show how nuclear can be competitive in an environment where the price of carbon is higher?
1: From this study, I know about the competitiveness of nuclear. It's a study by OECD, and they had a carbon price at thirty dollars, I think. So, so they already, no, no. yeah. So they're already taking this into account into sure. the study. For sure, uh, the, higher, um, the higher the higher of carbon price, the more nuclear is competitive. for sure.
0: Okay. Well, Valerie, um, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully, we can do another episode at some point. Thank you for listening to the Sciences Po Energy podcast, recorded and produced in Paris by Paul David Evans with help from Sirvash Barhodar. If you like the podcast, then feel free to leave a rating on iTunes or whatever you are listening. And if you're an undergraduate student and you're interested in energy, then have a look at the program offered by Sciences Po.